Father, thank you for bringing us together here today to finish up this uh, seven letters, these seven letters, and we're finishing up today. Uh, We're hearing from you. And Lord, we pray that our ears would be open to hear what you would say. Help us, Lord, to see how these apply to our own lives as well to our as well as our own church. We pray that you, Lord, would be the center of our attention and not us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be in Revelation chapter 3. We're picking up in verse 14 today. This is uh, the... Church of Laodicea. This was the wealthiest of the seven churches. They're known for its banks and its um, rare black wool that was developed there. They also had a medical school that produced a popular eye salve that was exported throughout the whole world. Well, their world. Laodicea was at the crossroads of two trade routes between Rome and the Orient. And the city was destroyed by the same earthquake that destroyed Sardis and Philadelphia. The difference is they had the money to rebuild. And so they rebuilt their own city with their own wealth. They didn't have to wait for Rome to come with the Roman Union contractors to rebuild uh, the city. They just uh, did it all themselves. So Laodicea had a large Jewish population uh, as well as centers of worship for local gods and stuff like that. And the name Laodicea means rule of the people. And this carried into the church also in the form of democracy, that's how the city was run, that's how the church was run, by popular opinion, by polls, and uh, and voting on things, just like a government. Today's message is titled, The Bad Example. We continue our study through Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be in verse 14 where we read, And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness and beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. And so, Jesus starts right out here. First of all, there's something unique in how he addresses them. He says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. He didn't say to the church in Laodicea. Uh, He said that to all the rest of the churches. Uh, He said to the church of Ephesus when he was speaking of the church there in Ephesus. But here, 
he says it's the church of the Laodiceans, not of the city Laodicea. And that also gives us an idea of what this church was about. This church was more of a social club than it was a church worshiping and honoring God. And so how many churches do we see today that have strayed from God being the center of attention, from Jesus being the focus of salvation, and have become a social club? Let's get together, go to church, and we can have a good time, you know, fellowshipping at church together. You know, that's probably too many churches today have gone to that format. Why? Why would they do that? Well, it's popular. You know, people need some place to get together, connect, and hang out. So why not be the church? You know, it's a a safe place for people to get together. Um, Immediately, the good people get together at church, right? Not really. (laughs) I hope that's not offensive. But we know that there is none good, none righteous, no, not one. It's people that are seeking God That's the reason for going to church, to hear from God. That's supposed to be the reason that we get together and go to church because we want to draw closer to God. We want to hear from him. So we come together and I teach the word of God. I share from the word of God because he's the authority and I... I have good material here. So I can share the word of God and never go wrong. As long as I'm sticking to the word of God. As long as I'm not twisting the word of God to make us feel better about ourselves. So I I stress that we need to be offended sometimes. We need to be cut to the heart because we aren't perfect. We won't be perfect until he perfects us. He completes the work in us. And then we'll be perfect and we'll realize how messed up we really were. If you don't realize how messed up you really are, you need a little more Jesus. Because, you know, he reveals to us uh, how messed up we are. The more we have of Jesus, remember Paul, Paul knew he was a sinner and he was the chief of sin. He wasn't worthy to be an apostle. He he called himself out and at the end, he just was completely um, disgusted with himself because the closer he got to Jesus, the more he realized how bad he was. And that's true for us too. The more scripture we learn, the more we realize we're not in line with scripture. The more we hear, 
the, the more we understand, the less we feel righteous, the less we are content with our place. And we realize, I need to draw just a little bit closer. No, you need to draw a lot closer. But if you just move a little bit closer, that's good. It's a good start. So all of us need to recognize that, though. No matter how long we've been walking with Jesus, there's something in our lives that prevents us from going further. And until we get rid of that something... Until we clear that junk out of the way, you know, it's like going in and cleaning out the closet. You know which closet I'm talking about. And, And you go in to clean out the closet. Unless you remove the junk, all you're doing is reorganizing the closet. But you need to remove the junk out of it so that the only thing in that closet are the things that need to be stored there. The rest of it needs to go. And that's just like our relationship with Jesus. Jesus is calling out the Laodiceans. He says these things, says the amen, the faithful, and the true witness. He has so many names, and they all pertain to him and not anyone else. There's no one else that can be called by the names that Jesus calls himself or that God calls him. In the Old Testament, there are many names that God says about the righteous one, the Prince of Peace that came to earth to save us. I know your works, that you are neither hot Uh, Cold nor hot, I wish you were cold or hot. See, they were lukewarm. They weren't all in, they weren't all out. A lot of people get this a little confused and they think, okay, hot is good, I'm on fire for Jesus. Cold means Oh, you're, you're not anywhere close to Jesus. You're completely away from Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Hot and cold are both the good things. They're both necessary things, being hot and cold. Hot was the medicinal thing, being bringing warmth and healing. Cold is refreshing. I want a cold cup. You turn your tap on in the summertime here. You can run that cold water all day long. (laughs) It's lukewarm, isn't it? You know, that's not refreshing. They, their ice machines were broken back then. And so they didn't have really cold and, um, in Laodicea, they didn't have really hot either. So uh, here on the next verse, it says, um, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you from my mouth. They were not cold. They were not hot. Now, there are two cities 
that were one north, one south of them. The city to the north was Hierapolis. This is where they had hot springs. And people would go and, and go to the mineral springs, the hot springs, and they'd hang out. There's, in in uh, Marietta, in California, they had Marietta Hot Springs. And uh, we would go there for our retreats and everything. Calvary Chapel owned the Bible College up there, many acres. And 80% of the hot springs in Marietta Hot Springs were on their property. And so... Every year we would go to men's retreats. We would go up there and, and hang out in these hot springs. Some of them were too hot to go in. They were over 104 degrees, you know, coming out of the earth. And, and so, of course, the brave men would go and hang out in them for all of 13 seconds. And then we'd go jumping out and running down to the other ones where they were a little more tolerable. But they were invigorating they, they help get, um, you know, uh, stuff out of your system and, and cleanse your system. And the cold down in, in Colossae, that's where the cold water was. They had cold springs down there. So Hierapolis up north bringing uh, hot water, these springs, they would bring into Laodicea through aqueducts. And the same thing from Colossae. They would bring the cold water into Laodicea from Colossae. That's how come on your sinks you have H and C. It's Hierapolis and Colossae. You thought it was hot and cold. It's not. And so <laughs> you will remember that forever now. And, and so here's the problem with those two places they were hot there and cold there, but by the time they got to Laodicea, it was lukewarm. It had to travel all that way in the aqueducts. It didn't stay cold. It didn't stay hot. And so in Laodicea, they got lukewarm. And the hot was good for nothing by the time it got there because it still had that stench of the minerals that was in it, so you couldn't really drink it. You know, and then you had the stuff coming up from the south, and that um, wasn't very refreshing. So, you know, the thing is, is that we need to be hot or cold at different times. We need to be ready. We need to be um, sometimes cared for. You know, you've heard the term, the church is a hospital. Um. I understand what they mean. I don't agree with it. And I'll tell you why. Because when do you go to the hospital? When you're hurting, when you need to go to the hospital to get something fixed, right? And you're, you've reached a point where you have no choice but to go to the hospital to get whatever the problem is corrected. The church should not be a place where you go to get emergency treatment. The church needs to be there all the time and you need to be connected to the body of Christ all the time. If you're not, you're missing out 
on the ongoing healing that takes place by being in the church. It's the place where, yes, you, you do need to get that medicinal healing, but you also need the cold. You need the refreshment of the word of God. You need to be rejuvenated by the heat and refreshed by the cold. And that's why we come together in the church. It's not just a social club like the Laodiceans were doing there. That's how they did church. It's okay to have a good time. We had a great time on Wednesday. We, uh, you know, had a meal together and uh, we shared gifts with each other. Some of us, the same gifts that we shared last year. It just moved around the table. So it was a great time. And it's fun getting together and doing those things. But it's because of our common relationship with Jesus Christ that we can get together and enjoy these things together because that's where our foundation is. It's in Jesus, not in the social club. And, and so we need to keep that in focus. So the other problem with, um, with being out of church, it's kind of like, all right, I'll, I'm going to confess to you here. I bought a total gym. Um, you know, do you know what a total gym is? You know, come on, you don't know what a total gym is? Who, uh, who was it? Chuck Norris and uh, Christy Brinkley? What, wasn't it? Yeah, they did commercials for the total gym like 30 years ago. Do you know what? I still have the same muscles I had 30 years ago. They look the same too. And, and so a total gym is basically an isometric bench that you work out on and it gets you fit. I bought the total gym. It didn't work. It didn't work. I, I immediately went on to Amazon and I wrote, uh, you know, a review. I bought this thing six months I've had it. It has not developed one muscle. It hasn't helped me in any way, shape, or form. And they wrote back and said, have you used it? I paid for it. Why do I have to use it? You know, I spent good money on this thing. Same thing with church. You can go to church. But if you don't apply what you learn in church, you get nothing out of church. And... That's the reality for many people in the world today. They hear what the word says. They even agree with it. Oh, that's solid. That's a good word. You know, once in a while I'll, I'll post something on Facebook and I'll get like a hundred people. Oh, that's solid. Oh, that was such a good word and so on and so forth. And, you know, okay. I, my next question should be, how many of you are applying it? How many of you are actually doing what it says? Because I know that that's the biggest challenge for me. When I read a devotional, and I, I read what it says, and I agree with it wholeheartedly, I have to read it again and then say, well, how am I doing applying what this devotion says to my own life? 
How am I, how am I actually putting this into action in my life? And that is not comfortable. That's not easy to do. When you read something and you get convicted by it, it's like, well, maybe there's another book. <laughs> maybe there's another devotional that will tell me something. I'm sure Joel Osteen has something that I can read and feel good about myself. You know, but I want to be convicted. I want to be challenged. That's how I grow. That's how I get sharpened. And that's how my walk with the Lord improves. It's like sandpaper rubbing up against rough wood. You rub it for a while and then, and it even builds up heat when you're doing that, you know. But you're getting rid of that rough wood and eventually it becomes smooth. And sometimes in marriage, that's what it feels like. It feels like heat, you know, between husband and wife. You get those rough edges. But God has sent just the right amount of sandpaper to correct those issues, to smooth things out, to make something beautiful out of rough wood. And, you know, we have a good God that way. He teaches us uh, how to get past ourselves. We need to actually apply the things that we learn in church Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eyesalve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. That's some tough stuff there. They thought they were wealthy and that they had no needs. They had nothing that they needed from God because he had already given them everything they needed. How often do we get to that point in our own life? I'm content with where God has brought me to. This is my place of contentment. I have reached an area where I don't need, I want to stay right in this area of contentment. How often do we find that it doesn't last? That we're, we get uncomfortable in that place of contentment. And why is that? Because God's not content with us being content. You see, when we become content, we become complacent, we become Laodiceans we become okay with just about everything. Well, they could do what they want. I'm, I'm okay here. Everyone can do what they... You make your own choice. Now, I'm not saying that we have to go change the world. 
We don't have to go out and tell people what they're doing wrong. They already know for the most part. And if you tell them what they're doing wrong, they're not going to listen anyway, are they? Just look at the news. That, that's all the news is doing is telling somebody, whoever's watching, everything the other people are doing wrong. Right? You know, look at all those idiots. Look at what they're doing. But if you go to a different channel, it's the other idiots that are really the problem. And, and so you have this controversy that will never be resolved by looking at someone else. It's looking here. And when we become complacent, when we become so content with where we have arrived at, then we stop pursuing going further. We're afraid we may leave the zone of contentment if we go any further. The hardest things uh, that we do in life produce the greatest work in our lives. When I was in the Navy, I was working long hours in the Navy. I was going to school at night to get a degree so that I could have a better future. And at the time I was doing it, I was very uncomfortable. It was miserable doing all of that. But the benefit was a couple of years later, it was all over and I got a degree and I had a great job. I got out of the Navy and I got a good job in, in, out in the workforce as a contractor and everything started looking up. But it wasn't because I sat around waiting for things to look up. It was because I pursued it. And I wasn't content once I made it to where I was trying to get to, once I got there, I wanted more. I wanted to improve. I wanted to do things better. And then I went to Bible college. And look what that, look what that brought me. Oh, it's, it's what God does. It's what God is working and how God directs. And so when we look back on our past and say, all right, where were the rough areas? Where were the areas that uh, I, I was struggling? Uh, we will always find something good that came out of it. Now, there may be bad things that came out of it too. Usually the bad things are the, the things where I was doing things my way. And then I finally broke down and said, okay, God, I'm done. Tried this long enough. So now what? And then he showed me the next step. The Laodiceans were happy and content with what they were doing. They had all the money that they needed and they were satisfied with that. But Jesus calls them out and says, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. He didn't say, that's your condition and you know it. He said, you don't even know it. Because they would look at those things and say, well, 
I'm not any of those things because I have all the comforts of the world. So they were thinking physically. He's talking spiritually. He says, spiritually, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. And so gold, when they refined gold, it the the chaff, the stuff would come up in the gold and it would come to the top. And so the refiner would look into the gold, see the stuff on top, and he'd get the scoop and he'd scoop it out. And then he'd look back and he'd wait for the heat to heat it up and for the for the gold to bring up more chaff. And they'd keep scraping it up until it's all gone. And he would look, and when he would look and see his perfect reflection in the gold, he would know that it was pure. That's the kind of gold that Jesus is talking about here. I want to give you gold refined in the fire, and you're buying it from me. That means it's perfect gold. That you may be rich. And he's not talking about wealthy. He's talking about spiritually rich. White garments talk about righteousness, the righteousness of God. They were used to the black garments because they perfected black wool. But here he's saying, no, you want white garments, only garments that I can provide that type of white. You know how you go to the store and you see white garments garments on the rack but when you look it's like well how come this one's whiter than that one and this one's whiter than and this one has a little bit of yellow to it and and or you order something on amazon and it says it's white and you get it and you're like that's not even close to being white this kind of white we've never even seen this kind of white is perfection coming from Jesus and it says that you may be clothed meaning that we're naked in our unrighteousness we need to be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and so that's what we need is to have this type of we're going to be clothed in his righteousness that's what we need not our own, because we'd be in trouble then. And anoint your eyes with the eye salve that you may see. They knew what eye salve was because they were known for the eye salve that they made that went out throughout the world. And so uh, they were the most coveted eye salve that you, they had commercials for it. And, and still today, they still have commercials for it on TV. And um, Mike Lindell, that's his new line of myisav.com. Um, you'll be going there. And anoint your eyes with that. He's talking about his healing, his spiritual salve that's going to cleanse him. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There are many times where we look at God and say, God, why am I going through this? I don't deserve this. 
I'm trying to live righteously and I'm having bad things happen in my life. Why? And sometimes it's because he's rebuking us for something that we're not giving up in our lives, that we're not getting rid of. Sometimes it's because of things that we're doing in our mind. It may not even be something that we're doing outwardly, but if we're doing them here in our mind, James says that's where the trouble begins. The trouble begins when we entertain things in our mind and then we start acting upon those things in our mind. And so we need to be chastened from that also. We need to be cleansed from those things that keep us from following after him. There are many distractions in the world today, but he rebukes and he chastens because he loves us. It doesn't mean that you lose your salvation if you are living in a situation that is displeasing to God. If you're a believer and you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he doesn't cast you out. But you have disconnected yourself from him by living in a situation that is displeasing with him. He can't continue to show you blessings when there's something displeasing in your life. He chastens, he rebukes, so that we can correct the problem. And then when we do, we have this new relationship with Jesus. We, it's, it's a restored and, and it's a relationship where he can do something with us. The Laodiceans, they weren't able to do anything because they were still caught up in the old way of doing things. He wanted to give them back 2020 vision of the Holy Spirit. That's what we really need, is to be able to see things spiritually through his eyes rather than through our own. I had cataract surgery a while back. Amazing the difference. Uh, you know, right now, I have fingerprints all over my glasses and everything's a little bit fuzzy right now. You know, that's how come I keep taking them off because I, I can actually see all of you really clearly. I just can't read. Uh, so, um, you know, this is was amazing for me to have the cataract surgery done and to see so clearly. I can almost envision that this is uh, just how our spiritual lives are. When we go from looking at everything through our own eyes to seeing things through the eyes of the Holy Spirit, it's like taking off smudged glasses and seeing things clearly. You know, it's like almost for the first, oh, I can see again. I remember what it was like to see like this. That's what Jesus is calling them to do, to be like that. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and dine with him and he with 
me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So now he's telling the Laodiceans that he's knocking at the door. And then he says that if anyone, well, that anyone didn't just mean the Laodiceans. He's saying anyone hears my voice, opens the door, invites me in, I'm coming. Anyone. And so today, this is the same. We're not just reading a historic document about some people in Laodicea who weren't getting it, who were living selfish lives. He isn't talking about, he's talking about us. He's saying, how do we fit into that description? Where is it that we consider ourselves? Have we decided that we've gone beyond that? It's okay if you have. I'm not saying that you can't. I would love to think that I am the Church of Philadelphia. I would love to think that that's where I live. But sometimes I feel like the Church of Ephesus. I've lost my first love. Sometimes I feel like Smyrna. Sometimes I feel like Pergamos. I find myself sometimes feeling like all of these churches at different times in my life. That's why he wrote the letter. So that we can apply it to our lives and that we can recognize the faults that these churches have. Well, Jesus isn't writing to unbelievers. He's writing to churches. They're believers. He's not calling unbelievers through these letters. He's calling believers. He says, I'll come in and sup with you. I'll dine with you. We'll dine together. That dining he's talking about is deepnon, is the word. And it is talking about supper. It's talking about the meal that they celebrated together where they came together as families and friends, and they would eat together, and they would share about what's going on in their lives. It would, it's a, an intimate time of fellowship. And that's what he's saying. I want that time of fellowship with you. I want to have that type of connection with you. And if you just open the door and invite me in, I'm coming and we're going to have that type of meal together. We're going to sit and we're going to... He wants us to get off the couch, to get away from the TV, to get away from the computer, to put down the cell phone, to come and talk. I was in line at Starbucks this morning picking up a, um, a drink for my lovely wife 
because I don't lower myself to drink Starbucks. And uh, I'm joking. I just didn't feel good today, so I didn't get a Starbucks. But here's the thing. While I was in line at Starbucks, the person in front of me was too busy texting to see that the cars had moved up. Now, my horn isn't loud enough. I don't like to, to honk my horn because it's, it's wimpy. And, and so I, I waited patiently. Okay, I wasn't patient, but I was waiting for her to stop to look up from her phone so that she can move up to uh, the next, you know, to move up. I'm not worried about me. I'm worried about the cars that are waiting to get to that speaker, and they can't because we've got the whole line blocked and just come on, move up one because they would like to place their order too, you know, because I'm just a nice guy like that. And so, okay, you you caught me. Anyway, so she finally realizes it and she moves up. I sometimes feel like that's how we are with the Lord. We're so caught up in what we're doing on our phones, on our TVs, on our computers, and he's speaking to us. How often do I see great scripture and I'm like, oh, that was so meaningful. What's the next one? Oh, yeah, that's that guy Anatoly, the weightlifter. Oh, yeah, he's great. And, and, you know, and we look at all of the things and we just keep going through from one thing to another. It's important for us to put things down and get into a quiet zone so we can hear the still small voice. He's inviting us in to do that. So here's the question. What church are you a member of? Ephesus was working hard. They wouldn't tolerate evil, but one problem. They lost their first Love. Jesus encourages them to turn back to Christ. Smyrna was suffering persecution and poverty, but they were rich in spirit. And Jesus encouraged them not to be afraid of a little persecution because if they hung in there, things were going to be okay. Pergamum was true to the faith, but they compromised by allowing false teaching to infect their lives. Don't think of this as a church. Make this personal. Jesus encouraged them, repent. Turn away from the things that are distracting you, that's making you compromise. Thyatira had love, faith, and service, but they allowed immorality and false teaching into the church. And Jesus encouraged them, Hold fast to what you have. The good things that you have, hold fast to that. Sardis was superficial in their relationship with God and they received no commendation at all. Uh, But Jesus encouraged them to turn back to the teachings when they first believed. Philadelphia remained faithful and had nothing negative said about them. Wouldn't that be great? Nothing negative said about you. That was Philadelphia. They remained faithful and Jesus encouraged them to hold fast to that. Remain faithful and stay doing what you're doing. Laodicea received no condemnation, 
uh, commendation, but they were told that they were lukewarm. And Jesus encourages them to turn away from their indifference towards God. Laodicea was a bad example of what a church should be. Unfortunately, there are too many churches like that today. We can learn from the bad example. We just shouldn't become the bad example. And it's too easy in this day and age for us to do that. Jesus provided the instructions on how to correct what's wrong in our relationship with him. So now may we have the ears to hear and the hearts to apply what Jesus said, not only to the church, but to each one of us individually. Amen? Amen. Lord, thank you for this word. It is convicting. It's challenging. But it's also the truth. And it helps us to understand where we are in relation to you. It helps us to understand that there's hope no matter which situation that we're in. It reminds us that you're constantly watching to offer help to us when we need it. And so, Lord, in this day and age, as things are going crazy around us, we pray for your presence. We pray for more of the Holy Spirit. And we know that when we do that, that you're willing. That's what you want to give us, is more of the Holy Spirit. So help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, not to just recognize the Holy Spirit, but to grow in the Holy Spirit, to thrive in what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. We thank you for him. And so, Lord, help us now, as we have completed these seven letters, help us now to sense the direction that you're leading us and guiding us individually and collectively as a church. And we pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 